Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. The older that I get in life, uh, the more I have a tendency to misplace things. Anybody else have an issue with misplacing things, right? Like, uh, um, I mean, it's one thing when, as a guy, I put stuff on the counter, and then I come back and I can't find it, Um, and then I ask Andrea where it is, and she's like, oh, I have no idea, and then to find out it got, like, shoved in a drawer somewhere, like, um, that's one thing, but as far as, like, this thought of like misplacing things. I had a situation that happened uh, recently. Tell me if you've ever kind of done this before, but um, uh, I was running late uh, to, get to, uh, to get to the office. And uh, you know, when you're kind of running late, it's like, it's one of those times where uh, everything that you need to get out the door is like in different places all over the house. And so I'm like, I'm kind of scurrying all over the house to get my backpack and to get my keys and to get all these little, little different things. And, and I'm on the phone uh, talking to Andrea and she begins to recognize that I'm getting frustrated. And, and she's like, babe, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, I, I got everything. I got to get out the door, got to get to the office, but I can't find my phone. I've looked all over the place and I can't find my phone. And and then all of a sudden, like dead silence um, happened. And then, and then she responds and she's like, babe, you're on the phone with me. <laughs> like, I don't know how many of you guys have ever, ever done that before. But, um, but you know, sometimes, sometimes in life we can be easily distracted by um, doing things that we need help from somebody else to help us see what we're missing, to help us see the things that might be right in front of us, but we're just incapable to see it in the moment. And today, as we continue this series about Get It Back, we're going to get some help with that. We're going to get some help as we jump into the story of Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah, we're going to begin to discover what it looks like for us to get it back in our lives. And if you missed last week, um, we talked about getting the it factor, getting it in our life. The it factor is, it's kind of hard to describe, but essentially it's, it's the presence and the activity of God in our life that is just so vibrant, like so alive that our life is better for it and the people around us, their lives are better for it. And so last week we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we, we looked at how the Bible kind of lays out um, what I call the, um, the it cycle. And we walked through in Deuteronomy chapter 8 how um, it begins to, for us to be able to get it back in our lives. It starts through a position of humility. And then as we uh, walk in humility, that humility leads us into obedience. Obedience leads us into a life of blessing. And then we talked about when God begins to bless us in our life, 
we then have one of two choices, that either we praise him for all that he's doing in our lives, or we begin to, to walk in pride and begin to say, I did that. And what we see with the it cycle is that when we begin to walk in pride, when we begin to, to take the, um, the glory for ourselves and what God is doing in our lives, that that the only way that God can get us back into that it cycle in our life is to allow us to go through seasons of humiliation. Seasons where we begin to identify and to recognize that, that we can't do this on our own. That it isn't all about us. And those seasons of humiliation, seasons of, of brokenness in our life, God uses that to take us back to a place of humility, a place where we recognize that he is the creator and I'm the creation and that he knows best for my life. And so this week, what we're doing is we're now beginning to transition out of what we've seen as the it cycle, and we're going to take a look at this story of Nehemiah, that we're going to take a look at, at how God uses him to, to help people, to help families, to even help an entire nation get it back. If you got your Bible or smartphone uh, with you today, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter one. And uh, if you're taking notes, I've entitled today's message, See Something, Do Something. See Something, Do Something. You know, what I think's cool about this story of Nehemiah is that in all the things that God does in his life and through his life, um, He's not some professional minister or, or pastor. He's, he's a government employee for a nation that he's enslaved to. And, and he ends up becoming a general contractor. And God, God uses him in such a mighty way to help people find hope, healing, and purpose in their lives. The backstory leading up to Nehemiah chapter one is this, and see if you can identify the it cycle in this backstory, that in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a nobody. God chooses Abraham, and he gives Abraham this, this powerful twofold purpose, that he, he says this, that I'm gonna raise up a great nation through you Abraham. And then he says this, that you're going to be a blessing to all people. And here's what that promise means is that it's through Abraham's lineage that, that Jesus is born. And so what God is saying is that through you, Abraham, I'm going to be, bring Jesus who is going to be a blessing to all people. And essentially what's happening here is that God was saying to Abraham that if you walk humbly before me, and you obey me, that I'm going to bless you with, with it. And although Abraham and his family, they weren't perfect, for several generations, they strived to put God first, and God ended up raising them up and giving them 
their own land. And long story short, over time, they became prideful. They forgot where their blessings came from. And eventually, after hundreds of years and countless warnings, they continued in their disobedience and God removed it from their lives. Because of their continued disobedience, Israel ends up being conquered by Babylon, who is then conquered by Persia. And now the Israelites find themselves slaves to the Persians. And what Israel had once had was now gone until God raises up a man by the name of Nehemiah, who God uses in a mighty way to spark a revival and restoration throughout the land. And what's fascinating is that it's through Nehemiah's courage and obedience that the people and the families and the nation of Israel end up getting it back. And so as we jump into Nehemiah chapter one for a few minutes this morning, I want us to, I want us to look at what caused Nehemiah to see what he previously couldn't see. In Nehemiah chapter one, verse two, this is what it says, that Hanini, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things aren't going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, that they are in great trouble and disgrace. Notice what he says here. That the wall of Jerusalem, that it's been torn down, and that the gates have been destroyed by fire. I don't know how much you know about Bible times, but walls and gates were pretty important in those days. They're important walls, especially because they protected the city from the enemies that would try to come in and overtake them. Walls in those days represented the, the power of the people that lived in the city, but it also represented the power of the God that they served. What's interesting about the gates was that the gates were actually a place where people um, really did life in community together. Gates also helped control the people, the kind of people that would come into the city and the type of people that would leave. And at the end of the day, whoever controlled the gates would control the city. And I think in a sense, you and I, we all have walls and gates in our own lives. In some seasons of our life, our walls and gates are, are healthy and they're intact and we've, we've kind of fortified ourselves by putting God first and spending time in his word, prioritizing church, going spiritually, forgiving people that have hurt us or let us down embodying the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Like essentially we end up fortifying the walls and the gates in our lives as we surrender our life to become more and more like Christ. But in some seasons, if we're not careful, our walls and our gates begin to deteriorate. 
We begin to develop some, some holes, and sometimes we're the cause. Proverbs says this in chapter 25, verse 28, that a, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. I know for me in my life and my journey with God, the majority of the regrets that I have in my life are because of a lack of self-control. And what the Bible begins to talk about here is is how that lack of self-control in our lives, how it begins to tear down the walls in our life. You know, self-control is the ability to say no to the things that will harm us so that we can say yes to the things that will bless us. But if we're honest, sometimes our walls, sometimes our gates get damaged, not because of what we've done, but because of what others have done. Because of somebody that cheated on us, somebody who abused us or lied to us or manipulated us or let us down. What I find is interesting is in Ephesians chapter Four, there's, there's a warning to us when, when we've had those kind of, of, of pains, those kinds of disappointments that have happened in our life. There's this warning that, that says, listen, don't let your anger of what other people have done to you in your life, don't let that anger lead to sin. Sin meaning a, a degree of unforgiveness, a degree of, of bitterness, uh, you know, the, the feeling of just kind of looking back at them and hatred in your heart. And, and what Ephesians 4 says is that when we begin to do that in our lives, it says this, that we give the enemy a foothold. We give the enemy a foothold in our wall to be able to get over the wall to create a, a level of hopelessness, a level of feeling exposed where where we get attacked by the enemy. And I think what's kind of interesting about the story of Nehemiah is that, that in a sense, that's kind of how the people of Israel felt. And what's so fascinating is that Nehemiah hears about this and something about it stirs within his heart. Look at this in verse four. Nehemiah says that that when I heard this, when when I heard about the walls being torn down, when, when I heard about the gates, he says, I sat down and I wept. Let me ask you a, a provoking but somewhat convicting question. When was when was the last time that you were broken over someone else's brokenness? Like it's easy for us to get broken over our own brokenness, but when was the last time that, that you were broken when you heard about somebody else's brokenness? And that's where Nehemiah is 
in this moment that there's something that begins to stir in his heart, like a pain deep on the inside as he begins to hear about the destruction in his homeland. Here's what he says. He says that for days I mourned, for days I fasted, for days I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. He says in verse six, listen to my prayer. Can you, can you sense the desperation and the heartbreak in Nehemiah? He says, look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. Notice this, he says, I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. That we've sinned terribly, not by not obeying the commands and the decrees and the regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. You know, one of the things that I love about this moment for Nehemiah is that, is that he took ownership. Like if you think about the story and you think about where Nehemiah is, that he's taking ownership, not just of his disobedience, but he's taking ownership of the disobedience of generations before him. The generations of disobedient Israelites that even got them to this place. You know, that's not a normal kind of response, not for their day, but especially, especially not for our day. Like, think about the culture that, that we live in today. When others sin, what do we do? We judge, right? When others sin, we judge. When we sin, we make excuses, right? <laughs> We judge others, but we make excuses. Listen, I know this firsthand. Let me, get, let me kind of paint the picture. So if I got to go to Publix after work to get some groceries, trying to jump in there and get something real quick before I go home to be able to make dinner, get something for Andrea if she's making dinner. Here's how, here's how that plays out. I go in, I grab a few groceries, um, I jump into the express lane, the 10 items or less lane. And um, I don't know what goes through your mind when you're in the express lane, but here's what goes through my mind. I began to count how many items the person has that's in front of me in the express lane, right? And then as I began to count and I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Like anger begins to rise up within me, right? And if Andrea's with me, she's like, babe, chill, babe, chill. Everything inside of me wants to like say something, right? But, but you don't, you don't like actually say it, say it. You just kind of like, like, like he'd lean over to Andrea and be like, dang, that's a lot of items on the, uh, on the conveyor belt there, right? <laughs> it's like that passive. We judge when somebody else 
you know, sins, which I guess going through the express lane with more than 10 items, sin or not sin, I don't know. But we judge. But if I'm in Publix and all the lanes are full and I have 13 items in my cart, I go to the express lane. <laughs> the 10 items are less. And here's why I do that is because I look at the Diet Cokes that are in my thing and it's a buy one, get two free. And so in my mind, I justify the fact that I'm only paying for one. So it's not really 10 items or less, it's 10 items you're paying for or less, right? <laughs> When somebody had sins, we, right, we judge. But when we sin, we have a tendency to make excuses. But in this moment with Nehemiah, it's not that way for him. That he allows their brokenness. Their sin had gotten them to this place, but he allowed their brokenness to break his heart. And it was in his brokenness that, notice this, that he was able to see what he already knew differently. Let me say that again. He was able to see what he already knew differently. Let me explain. You know, for all of us, it's easy for us to miss some details about what we read in the Bible because we weren't there and we didn't live it. And so what all of us do, all of us do this, we parachute into moments in the Bible, right? We parachute into Nehemiah, we parachute into Ephesians, we parachute into James and the hardest thing for us to wrap our mind around is the linear story and that these, these events, these books of the Bible, they, they fall, they're a portion of the linear story. And so there's elements of the backstory that we just naturally are not aware of because we didn't live it. And so in this moment, with Nehemiah when his brother shows up and his buddies and they share this news about the walls being torn down, it's not the first time that Nehemiah had heard that news. Like the walls had been torn down 134 years before this moment. 134 years. Like, Nehemiah already knew this was an issue. He already knew that the walls were torn down. For Nehemiah, in this moment, he didn't get new information. Get this. He got a new perspective. He didn't get new information. He got a new perspective. Ryan, what are you, what are you trying to say? Back to the beginning, that sometimes 
you and I can be so distracted by the things that we're doing that we need help from somebody else to see what we're missing. For Nehemiah in this moment and leading up to this moment, he had been distracted. He'd been focused on his responsibility as the cupbearer to the king. Sounds like an amazing position, but then when you realize that you're really just the one there to taste the wine, so that if somebody poisoned it, you're the one that dies instead of the king, doesn't sound so great. And so he had been distracted because he was focusing on his own job, his own responsibilities. Notice this, that that where Nehemiah was in Persia, he was close to 900 miles away from the problem. 900 miles away. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but I've noticed for me that that the more that I distance myself from problems that I see, the less compassion I have towards it. And I think that's where Nehemiah was in this season of his life before his brother and his buddies show up. That he's distracted, that he's kind of withdrawn, that, that, that there's a big distance between the problem that's happening over there and the present life that he is experiencing here. And there was a disconnect in his heart. And he needed somebody. He needed somebody to, to show up. He needed somebody that could help him to, to identify and to help him see what was missing. And here's what was missing. A people and families who were missing out on God's best in their life because their walls had been torn down. We get this way. We get this way in our own life. We, we get distracted. We get so focused on, on our circle and our responsibilities and, and the people that are, are closest to us that, that we, begin to, we begin to miss, become incapable of seeing the problems or the issues that are right in front of us. What happened with Nehemiah in this moment is he, he had this like aha moment where God works through his brothers, works through his buddies to all of a sudden help him to see. And when, when Nehemiah sees, he becomes broken. Why was Nehemiah broken? Because he recognized in this moment, that there was an issue that God was calling him to address and he wasn't doing anything about it. Friend, I wanna ask you a question today. Whose walls is God calling you to repair? Whose walls is God 
calling you to repair that, that maybe you're not seeing because you're so distracted by so many other things in your life? It's a challenging question. But friend, what we choose to do with it greatly determines whether we get it back and whether we're able to help others get it back. I heard a story about this tiny village in the Congo and this really wealthy man from Europe sends this big shipment and it's a, it's a beautiful grand piano. A piano that had played in orchestras all around the world. And when this piano arrives to this village, all the villagers, they're kind of looking at it. They had never seen anything like this before, ever. And they're looking at it and the village elder shows up and he begins to look at it, begins to walk around to try to identify what this thing is. And the elder being the smartest, known as the smartest person in the village, he says, I know what it is. It's a doorstop. <laughs> and for two years, this beautiful grand piano that had toured all around the world, playing in orchestras all around the world, was pushed up against the door in this tiny village, holding a door open. This wealthy man shows up a couple years later and he sees this piano up against the door and he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he makes this statement. He says, this thing wasn't made to stop doors. It was made to make music. When I heard that story, what just dropped in my heart was this question. How many of us spend our entire lives stopping doors when God made us to make music. Friend, God didn't call Nehemiah because his walls were perfect. He was a Jew in a foreign land working a government job for a Persian king. But there was a moment there was a moment when his eyes were opened, that his perspective began to change, that he began to see his life and his purpose, not about himself, but about others, and then he chose to do something about it. He saw something, and he did something. Friend, I think... I think what God would have all of us glean from this moment and this message is that God, what walls have you called me to help rebuild?
that I've been so distracted by the things in my life and my own initiatives and my own goals and the things that drive me that I'm, that I'm unable to see it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.